If you are interested in CRO, this is the episode for you. Recently, my colleague Eric Machor sat down with CRO experts Adam Pierce and Peter Gardner from Blend Commerce, Khalid Saleh, CEO of CRO Agency in West, Marin Steival, the CRO Queen, Anna Abrozavich, and Daria Miakova, the best-selling author, Shep Hyken, and Go High Level founder Sean Clark to discuss what is the best way to approach CRO. Why brands should stop defaulting to discounts, the future of customer service, and more. If you enjoyed this episode, let me know. Links to everyone in the show notes. Now let's dive in. Let's talk more about conversion optimization. Many people think that the homepage is the first thing that you should focus on, but for the most part, the money page is the product page. I heard somebody say that recently. <laughs> what are some of the reasons why brands could be leaving a lot of money on the table in regards to the product page? Simplicity. If you focus on five things, and this is before you even look at development, if you focus on that copy on that product photos, if you focus on reducing the options and that all the sounds like counterproductive it's reduce options then people actually choose will end up choosing one if you give them too many options they're not going to choose anything and you can do that you can take skews away that aren't selling well but improving your copy improving the, the simplicity of that place also then photography make sure that the photography is brilliant you know that's that's the basis of like go out go get a professional photographer and go and take better photos of your products and then in addition to the copy is just make sure that all the information that is needed Needed for somebody to make a purchase is on that page. You've got to consider your different buying personas at this point. You might have somebody that is an impulse purchaser and they're, they're not going to scroll down that page at all. They're going to make a decision pretty quickly. They probably looked at your competitor, they found the best product that they think and they're going to make the purchase. But then you're going to have that researcher, somebody that actually comes in it and they, they're going to want to research everything. Make sure that information is there for that, that buying persona as well. And ultimately, you know, those are the things that you really need to focus on before you even start looking at innovation on that page as well. Yeah, so what, one of the things that we've learned over the years, sometimes companies come to us and they say, this is the page, this is the moneymaker, this is what we need to focus on. And I always tell every company, I tell them, you're bringing a tank to a battle, don't use this as, as a knife. Let us look at the whole site because you will be amazed at what we discover. Usually when we're evaluating, we'll look at the whole site and come up with issues that we find on the website and then we prioritize them. So that includes the landing pages, the home page, the collection page for an e-commerce website, the product page, cart and checkout. One of the key areas that we evaluate is how close a particular page is to the funnel to kind of like the, the the conversion point the closer you are to the conversion point the higher the impact this page will have on your bottom line most companies when they run experimentation they think hey i ran an a b test on my home page it shows me that this new design has a 10 percent lift in conversions this is great that means i'm going to see a 10 percent increase in my revenue and i tell them no you'll be disappointed they're like what why it's an a b experiment it's 10 percent i tell them well you only optimized for the visitors who go that through that homepage. Any visitor who didn't go through the homepage, there's no impact on them. That's the reason the closer a page is to the end conversion point, the, the, the end point, the more impact it has on your bottom line. A 10% in your product pages, for example, for an e-commerce website, or a 10% lift in your cart page is a 10% in the site revenue for the most part. A 10% on the homepage might be half a percent in the site revenue. That's the reason one of the goals, I, one of the things I tell my team, I tell them I avoid homepages when we first start experimentation. They tell me, Lee, why? Tell them because there are political battles. Everybody looks at the homepage. Yeah. Although for a large e-commerce website, it might be 
might be only like you know one or two percent of the traffic that goes through it and i'm like it's so like even if you have a 10 percent lift there the final impact on the site revenue is so minimal that it doesn't really matter don't 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 fight these battles establish your track record establish how good of a process you have and then you can get to the home page so the closer a page to the conversion, the more important it is, the more visitors, percentage of visitors that go through the page, the more important it is. And this is one of 18 different metrics that we evaluate before we say we're going to run a test on, on a page. Are there any other benefits that companies can get from implementing, you know, CRO tactics and strategies for their business? Oh, sure. So many, I would say. I would say just the knowledge of how our users react to our product and what we're trying to show them. I mean, our websites are the biggest store we we have. Uh, so to understand how users are moving, reacting, behaving, it's it's a very crucial thing, I would say, to your business. And I would say when it comes to quick wins, it's mostly around two things. It's mostly around usability and design. Those are the quick wins. And usually when you start a project, the first, I would say, four to six months, four months, five months, six months is around the quick wins. Just hit them, figure out what it is. And that's probably about, I would say, when you start a project, 70% of the work that you're doing is around those quick wins. So again, usability issues and design issues. 30% is more strategic. And by strategic, now you look at copy and then you look at brand positioning in the mind of visitors, correct? Strategic testing is a lot harder, correct? And it's, you don't get it right away compared to the quick wins, correct? Quick wins, like, okay, here, we fix this, we fix that. The quick wins though, the design and usability don't give you huge lifts. They might impact your site conversion rate by 20, 25%, 30% after six months. If you're looking for something bigger, it's around brand, it's around copy. Those are the first six months. Now think about the next six months. We've already hit all the quick wins. Companies stay with us now on average about 39 months. We've already hit all the quick wins. We've fixed everything. That's when you move into something a lot more strategic. Again, now you're looking at the whole user experience around the website and you're looking at messaging. That becomes about 80% of the work that you are doing. Well, okay, so we finished the first 12 months, you know, doing strategic and branding. What do you do after that? Then we look at what we call best templatized testing. So if you think about a cart page or a product page or even a home page, at this point, there are specific design patterns for each of those pages. For a cart page, there's probably seven or eight different design patterns. So, we can, you know, we say, you know, it's, let's test some of those design patterns against the winners that we that we have. And it's an iterative cycle. Peter, there was a post that you recently wrote. It said that you have stopped defaulting to discounts in 2021. And um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and why? Yeah, I think that's sort of scratching the surface on, on the whole mindset shift from conversion rate optimization to customer value optimization. As a CRO agency, you would look and you go, yeah, cool, let's offer them a 10% discount, let's get them over the line, sign up to our newsletter, cool, 10%, here you go, go and purchase. Now, the problem with that is, ultimately, you're just training them that you give them a discount. To another degree, if, if someone comes back the next time, they go, oh, well, I don't get the 10% discount this time. Well, you know, I only found value at that price that I paid originally, I don't want to pay more. You know, they're, they're ultimately going to go, well, I'll just go shop with a competitor, be, be a first-time customer there. And the other side is that they'll ruin your, your metrics as well, because they'll sign up with a new email address. So as far as you know, you've got a new customer, but it's not. It's the same customer and you don't get that ability to then treat that customer as a repeat customer down further down the line where you can reward delight, you can surprise and delight, give them gifts or their tent purchase or things like that. And that's ultimately, it's like, it's a cheat code. Giving somebody a discount code is a cheat code to acquire them. 
And ultimately, it's just adding to your acquisition cost. That discount code is pure profit. So if you give 10%, that is pure profit that you take off the table there. You just acquire that customer at that. Now, your agency has worked with a variety of different clients, startups to establish brands. How do you approach tailoring your services to the specific needs of each client? We've gone through, I think, like a lot of agencies, some different skins, I would say. It's probably, I would say, describe because like most agency owners, me and Peter did the dumbass thing that most people do. Uh, you sit down and go, look, hey, we're going to be an agency and we're going to offer everything. We'll do SEO. We're going to do development. We're going to do design, do marketing, Facebook ads. We're going to juggle flames and, you know, balance knives on our heads. And the reality is like, you just can't do it because no one could be good at all those things. And after we kind of got through that, we then kind of moved to kind of being a project agency. So just doing design development builds. Uh, and then after that, we then said, well, actually, we need to have a more, I guess, sustainable business from our perspective. Because the problem with project work is that, you know, look, it is very much the case of kind of feast or famine. You have some big projects come in, you do the builds, you've got no leads coming in what the heck do you do? We moved to retainers after that. So we are now at a stage where I guess we're on the uh, sort of maybe fifth incarnation of what we do at Blend. Maybe yeah, fifth or sixth or seventh, whatever it might be. But ultimately, from a customer's point of view, from a client's point of view, we are now a lot more specific and selective with the brands that we work with. So if I kind of give you um, a, an inside view on this, we will not work with brands who are doing less than $2 million a year. We will only really work with brands that have a repeatable element to what they do. So either subscriptions or they have a product that is, you know, like fast food, consumer goods, food, beauty, where it's kind of repeatable element to it. Because ultimately what we found is that if we don't actually work with those brands, we don't get the results that we need to be able to get from. So from a point of giving them what they need, we make sure that we qualify brands on the outset to make sure they're actually a fit for the skills that we've got. If they're not, then we actually refer them to other agencies who are better at you know, those different niches, for example. Now you also offer consulting and training services uh, for some of your clients. Can you just tell us a little bit about that in terms of like training and education? Essentially what we're doing now is uh, customer value optimization. For us, it's it's very, very research-led. A lot of quantitative and quantitative data that we're collecting and understanding before then actually doing anything on that website. And this is ideal for brands that are sort of, they've grown, they've grown fast, so maybe they've hit a bit of a pinnacle and they go, okay, what, what do we do now? How do, how do we become unstuck on our growth and continue on that trajectory? Great English words there for me to stumble upon. And essentially get them over to that next level of growth where they can they can continue that, that you know, ultimate rocket ship that they're trying to be on. What are some of the biggest challenges or roadblocks you have encountered when applying you know, personalization for clients and how have you overcome them in the past? So, yes, I wanted to add uh, also what Anna just said, that uh, the maybe hard part is to invite people from different departments because zero and personalization, it's mostly about that all people inside the company should be involved in this process. And it's hard to describe for them uh, why it's important. I mean, for development, for example, yes, this guy uh, will launch some campaigns on the website, but uh, 
it's the extra time for uh, him. So our goal also to invite people from different departments. And that's also why this uh, part, uh, theory part, yes, we also started with it uh, for them to describe what is zero about, why it's important for your business, why it's important for your department. So that's our goal to invite people from different departments. I would say not only for clients, I would say for all of the organizations I've worked with, the answer would be the organization, the people and the organization. Maybe you're not like so mature that you know everything about like CRO and personalization and, you know, all of these kind of buzzwords and what it's like to work data-driven. And it's actually a shit uh, a lot of the times because if you're going to be data-driven as an organization, that means you're not taking decisions based on your gut feeling anymore. And a lot of the organizations we do have today are, well, uh, if you excuse me for saying that, but they're built upon gut feeling. And a lot of the people in that maybe has the roles where they are deciding a lot of stuff, they're deciding it based on a lot of gut feeling, of a lot of experience too, of course. But this is a whole other way of working. And this way of working and being data-driven just for, the recommendations of how what a website should look like that can start also becoming more important in other parts of the organization let's say how you prioritize maybe what feature you uh, the the product development team should be releasing then you're talking about okay but then so how are we prioritizing are we prioritizing based on our gut feeling maybe you're using a pie framework but pie is a lot of gut feeling as well because you're saying what impact do i think this will have well if i like the idea and i'm biased for it i think it'll be a huge impact so i'll put a huge score into it so i think like starting to work like this creates a different atmosphere around the whole of the organization which me, myself, personally, I, I, I think it's fantastic because I sleep very well at night knowing like all of my recommendations come, come from data. I don't need to just be like, okay, I think this will happen. So let's put all our efforts into this and then it might not work. And then I'm, I feel really bad about it, you know? Uh, but yeah, I, so I think it, it can have big impacts on our organizations and the people within the organization. And I think it's important always for the, the people maybe like me coming into organizations and wanting to drive that change that you are really humble also it's it's very important that you always strive to communicate what is actually this how does it work to be data driven and include people in that work because you need to learn together how to do this now what are some strategies in general that some other e-commerce brands or just brands in general can do to improve their cltv when it comes to conversion you know, value optimization. One of the biggest things at the moment that we've definitely seen is the use of video. Video has always kind of been one of those things that has been operating in a bit of a silo. Twofold, one is kind of UGC type stuff where, you know, customers have created video. Okay, it goes out there, but, but what the hell do you do with it? And then secondly is the video that you don't create as a brand on TikTok and Instagram, wherever it might be, once it goes out on those platforms, where does it go? Well, the success recently has been by using those videos we've got a shuffle content like peter was saying before you know with the use of images on the front page having actual ugc videos in that main area where that photography and videography is really does help you actually convert because what you're doing there is that you are doing two things one is you're demonstrating to that customer how that product looks feels works can be used but secondly what you're doing as well is you're also using it as a trust indicator so it does two things in one again it's been done all the case of doing is using an appropriate app or using code 
to make sure that it sits in the right place. So if you're not using, if you're not taking video and using that to convert, you are missing a trick. What are some some of your favorite tools to use for an e-commerce brand, a DTC brand that's growing? Playdio, video-wise, gorgeous, and recharge. You just basically just took back all of the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm very specific. I like Petty Black, Petty Black for me. Personalization on on your box or in your box when you get your delivery. Uh, nice retargeting messages put in there as well. A favorite book or podcast you recommend for other e-commerce founders that they should listen to or read? I would definitely say Read Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. It's one of the founding pillars of our business that still we use as a principle. Um, I think that is definitely one. Another book by, by, by Mike as well, Get Different, about your marketing. Basically about being a bit more whack, um, which, you know... We're not following... No. And then uh, the the book that started uh, this company, like a lot of other people, uh, was 4-Hour Workweek. Um, that was, you know, a reason that uh, inspired, I think, probably me and you to, to want to go into business in some respect, what, didn't it? What's the four hours? Is that Tim Ferriss, right? Oh, yeah. I think Ferriss is lying right through his teeth, but <laughs> sorry, Tim. And all that, but yeah, bullshit. But ultimately, you know, it, it's a great mindset to have and about being more efficient with your time, which is so important, isn't it, in e-commerce? What are some good practices for creating personalized and targeted marketing campaigns if I was trying to reach my ICPs and my buyers? I mean, I think it's segmentation, right? So it's all about saying, hey, listen, who is this person, right? So every product's different, right? But it could be gender, it could be product uh, type that they've purchased, could be price point that they purchased, you know, no understanding and looking at the, of like, who is that, first of all, who's that core customer? Um, and, and then how do we grow that person? And being able to segment those buckets and then to make sure that the offers that are going at them are targeted really to what they're gonna respond to. Cause you know, discounts are fine, I guess. Although, you know, they kind of, they can cheapen some brands, right? Some brands live and die on them, but they're also generally uh, applicable to a certain demographic within any brand. And then some people, they don't care about discounts. I wanna know the, like, the hottest and latest stuff. Some people want special access, right? So they're willing to pay a lot more if they can come see you in person or you're gonna be doing a road show and they can get an invite or they can get a sneak peek even to a, to a Zoom call where you're gonna show off a brand new product and they can ask questions or get feedback, right? So really segmenting that audience and making sure that as you communicate, you're doing so to somebody you know is gonna actually then take action based on that and you're gonna be able to upsell them into those, to, uh, into those offers correctly. Another question you could ask is, what's changed in customer service? And the answer is nothing, zero. And 100 years from now, I'm going to predict that nothing will have changed between now and then. And yet you're probably wondering, how can that be? We've got automation, we've got digitization, we've got chat GPT that's able to talk in real language or as we type, you know, ask it questions. And I love that. But here is the premise. Customer has a problem or a question. And at the end of whatever interaction they have with a company, they've got that question answered or that problem resolved and they're happy. That's the way it's been for the last God knows how many decades, if not hundreds of years. And that's the way it will be a hundred years from now. It will not change. What will change is what happens in the middle from the time the customer decides they need to call and talk to the company and they get their issue and question, you know, resolved or answered. And that's what's changing dramatically right now. I look at the new chat GPT AI capabilities and I'm able to see the potential of having, you know, it will be different when I'm shopping on Amazon 
and I find what I want. And usually it makes suggestions like, hey, people who bought this, you look down also bought this and we'll bundle it together for you. Well, I think that's gonna go to a whole nother level when it talks to me. And even though I think that's kind of like, uh, they've used this algorithm and AI to recognize what I bought in the past and what my patterns are, it's gonna get even better. It's gonna be even closer to what human-to-human interaction is. For years I've been saying, Amazon has been one of the only companies to create loyalty without any human interaction. Zero. Once in a while, people have a problem, but most people have never, ever talked to Amazon before. And there's very few companies out there that you can say that about, right? Yet somehow they create this intense loyalty. And the way way they do it, and I've written articles about this. I, I actually wrote an article about me going into a hockey store I went in, there's this guy named Kyle. He was the manager or, or sales manager, somebody at the store. I walk in, he goes, hey, Shep, what do you need today? And I told him, and we he sold me my actually the last pair of hockey skates that I bought. And he goes, you need anything else? What do you think? And he goes, well, you got these new skates. Tell me about your gloves. They stink after a while. You're right. You need new gloves. So I walked out of there with gloves. So that was the upsell. That's like people who buy this also buy this. But I came back in a month later, and Kyle says to me, how do you like those skates? I go to Amazon and I come back the next time. Welcome back, Shep. This is what you looked at the last time. I mean, it's it's almost like the Kyle experience, but it's all digitized and automated. That is going to get even better and more sophisticated and more human-like. And Amazon, before I thought, created as close to a human experience as I could on a digital platform. Well, now we're going to a whole nother level. So chat GPT and technologies like that are going to allow us to have experiences in between our need and our resolution or our purchase, whatever, that is going to be just wonderful and exciting.